This is my advice for anyone doing anything scary. What's your action plan going to be? How are you going to cope with your nerves? That's how you approach big moments. Think about it. Face it. How are you going to be prepared? It's just about centering yourself, calming yourself, focusing yourself, and having confidence. Just telling yourself you've got it. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Welcome to our Women's History Month series on Skimmed from the Couch, where we're telling you about the women who made history this past year. This week, our guest is Kristen Welker. She's a veteran journalist who's been with NBC News for more than a decade. Last fall, she moderated the final presidential debate of 2020. And earlier this year, she became chief White House correspondent for NBC News. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so honored to be here. And I'm so in awe of what the two of you have accomplished as well. Thank you. Well, we are huge fans and really, really excited to dig in. So you got a a long and impressive and in-depth resume, but what either job or career moment that has been on your resume means the most to you? If I can break that into two answers, career moment, I have to say, moderating the presidential debate. It was the greatest honor of my entire career. It was the culmination of my career. It was also the biggest professional challenge I have ever had. And I was reflecting on it today. It felt a little bit like climbing a mountain professionally. When I first got the assignment, I was just so honored and excited, but also felt the weight of the assignment. I mean, the debate was 12 days before the presidential election. And so I really wanted to make sure that it was a debate that people all across the country could relate to, could understand, and that it was value add for people all across the country. And I just had the most incredible team at NBC working with me. I could not have done it without them. So that, I think, is the career moment that stands out. I think one of the jobs that has meant the most to me is my first job, which was on air, which was in Redding, California. I was a writer and researcher at the Weekend Today Show, which is, by the way, the show that I happen to anchor right now. So talk about coming full circle. I was 25 years old. I sent out my resume tape. At that point in time, we sent out tapes. You couldn't just upload links online. So I sent out tapes all over the country. I got this job in Redding, California, and I thought of it as do-it-yourself news. I literally shot my own video. I was the weekend anchor, so I would write my own show. I would physically produce my own show, like the tape of it, actually. Mm -hmm. I did the weather for a period of time. I operated the teleprompter with my foot. Um, So, But that's where I learned almost everything I know about journalism, the building blocks of journalism. And being there was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had because 
you were working with this very scaled back staff. And again, we were a team. That's where I think I really first learned the importance of having a strong team, supporting the people around you and making sure that you have support as well. And so that just landing that job on air was one of the most exciting moments of my career. And I remember the news director at the time said to me, you know, writing California is like five hours north of San Francisco. And he said, I'm going to bring you here from New York. I see a lot of potential in you, but you also terrify me because you really don't have practical experience operating a camera. So he took a bet on me. I worked a lot of extra hours. I worked weekends and you know, really made good, I think, on his taking a chance on me. I love that story and just like the enthusiasm. And it's awesome to hear, you know, that you were a researcher for now, the show that you are anchoring. It's the the full 360 moment that everyone, you know, looks for. I mean, it it is one of, it's a pinch me moment in my career. And I learned a ton working behind the scenes at weekend today, all those years ago. One of the people I worked most closely with was the late David Bloom. He was also a former White House correspondent, and I learned so much about politics from him. He would take me out on his shoots so that I could learn how to shoot my stand-ups. But he said, if you want to be a journalist, you want to be, you know, doing the actual reporting, get out and do it. And so he really encouraged me to start to take that leap Because, you know, when you're 25 years old, you feel a little nervous and you wonder if you're up to the task. You've talked about how influential those first jobs were. And I think a a lot of our audience is looking at if and when they go after their dream job. How did you go from being someone that was like so enthusiastic, so excited to get a foot in the door and move up in a way that I think was productive and not viewed as like entitlement in some way. And I think that that's something that people struggle with is they have so much excitement, so much enthusiasm. They want to do everything. And we know this as managers. It's it's like amazing when you have that person. And it's also really hard to manage that person. What's your advice for people that that want to take on more? How should they go about doing it? I love that you ask this question because I think it's so important. I always dreamt of becoming a White House correspondent. And in my dream of dreams, I dreamt of returning to anchor the Weekend Today show, which I now get to do with my really close friend, Peter Alexander, every Saturday. And so both of those jobs, being chief White House correspondent and co-anchor of Weekend Today, are dream jobs in their own right. However... And and the reason why I point to Redding, California, is because that's the place where I first started to lay the groundwork for getting an assignment at the White House. My goal was to learn how to be a really strong reporter, a really strong part of our team in Redding, California. At the same time, I said to my news director, one day, I want to be a White House correspondent. And he said, okay, well, why don't you cover what's happening at City Hall? You know, why don't you just take that upon yourself to, I'll just make you the city hall beat reporter. So that's what I did. And it was the most exciting thing for me to cover at the time. And I'll never forget, they had these brown bag lunches in Redding, California, where literally the mayor would come with his brown bag lunch. 
People who lived in Reading would come with their brown bag lunches. They would sit in a conference room and discuss the various topics that were at the top of their minds on that given day, at that given time. It really, again, I use this term, the building blocks. That's where I learned the building blocks. So I would say broadly what I learned about that. It is okay and important to say to your employer, your boss, this is what I'd like to do. This is what I'd like to learn how to do. At the same time, I'm 1000% focused on the work at hand here. So I always said yes. I said yes to every assignment, no matter how many hours it required. And I think that, you know, in order to get to your goal, which again, may seem very far away when you're starting out, you want to be the type of person who makes it clear that's what you'd like to do one day. I'd like to start learning how to do that. At the same time, I'm realistic and understand I'm not doing that today. So I want to get really good at whatever assignment you're giving me today. And again, I think that applies to journalism, but I think that applies to just about any job. And by the way, I was very consistent. So when I got to Providence, I said, one day I'd like to be a White House correspondent. My news director said, okay, well, um, John McCain's coming to town. Why don't you go interview him before he goes to meet with the governor? So I remember standing on the steps of the Capitol in Rhode Island, like my knees were knocking. I was so terrified because I'd never interviewed a senator before. I mean, this was like the biggest interview I was going to do. And by the way, I didn't have anything set up with him. <laughs> I was literally just waiting on the steps to interview him. He could not have been more gracious. He stopped. He talked with me for several minutes, even though we were standing outside. And that's something that I'll always remember and take with me. But I, again, I tell that story because it's about the consistency of saying, you know, I understand I'm in Providence, so the bulk of stories that I'm going to cover will be news of day stories. They're going to be the fires, the crime stories. They're not necessarily going to be focused on politics, but I also want to cover politics every single chance I can get. And I think that when you show a passion, it's hard for whoever you're working with not to give you a chance to try to explore that and try to learn more about your passions. You have to raise your hand. You have to have confidence and not be afraid to express what it is you, you, know, you ultimately want to work toward. What if you don't know what you want to do? I definitely personally relate to because there were times in my life where I was like, this is exactly what I want. But there have also been times in, in my life and I know in, in so many of our, our audience's lives where it's like, you really don't know what the F you want to do and you're stuck and you don't know how to articulate it. It's the, the dreaded interview question. What do you hope the next five years look like? How do you give advice around that? You're 100% right. And I think you hit on something important, which is Sometimes you know what you don't want to do, and that can be just as important. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. Every minute of my life, especially when I was in my early 20s, I wasn't as clear-eyed as I am now. I certainly had moments of doubting. In fact, I worked at a law firm one summer and thought, maybe I want to be a lawyer. You know, and, and part of that was you look at the starting salary of journalists and you think, oh boy, this is a long yep. path. And there's a realistic side to that as well, by the way, that's tough. You have, you know, some of your friends going out and yes, trying to become lawyers, getting into finance, whatever it is, 
And when you get into the field of journalism and a number of other fields, it might not be easy in those first early years. And I remember working in a law firm and just thinking, you know what, I, I don't think this is what I see myself doing. And I think the answer to your question is to try and experience as many things as you possibly can. And when you're in college or in those younger formative years, try to get internships. Maybe it's just a day where you volunteer and feel what it feels like to be in a hospital if you think you want to be a doctor or a nurse. Get a sense of what it feels like to be in a law firm. And sometimes figuring out what you don't want to do helps you get to what you do want to do. The other thing is like, sit down and write out, what is it you like to do? How do you like to spend your day? And what are you passionate about? And I think that maybe helps to bring it into focus as well. You brought up something uh, that leads me to my next topic, which is diversity in newsrooms. And you talked about one thing that that certainly affects that, which is pay in journalism. It's rough for a long time. You know, we uh, definitely experienced that firsthand for many years. But throughout your career, you know, you've been focused on improving newsroom diversity. And we've got a, a question from one of our HQers, Stacy. Her question is, how does race inform the way you approach your work? And I would also just follow up and, and add on to say, what do you want to see more of in order to improve equity in newsrooms? Well, first of all, I think about Andrea Mitchell when you ask this question, one of my mentors, and what the newsroom looked like when she was here and how far we've come. And I talk to her about this all the time. We have come so far from when, you know, she was maybe the only or one of two women in the DC Bureau. And now it is such an incredibly diverse place to work when you compare it to where she started. Our White House unit is mostly women. And that's something that we're so incredibly proud of. We have a diversity in terms of race as well throughout all of NBC. And I think that that's something that our president, Cesar Conde, has really put a focus on, which makes me really proud to work at NBC. To answer the first part of your question, though, like how do I see myself and how does race play a role in my journalism? I think that, first of all, I mean, I am a Black woman, so I bring that sense and sensibility to everything that I do. When I walk into work, my goal is the same every day, which is to make sure that I'm getting information and asking questions on behalf of the American people you know, to give a voice to people who don't have a microphone, who aren't sitting in the front row of the briefing room. And so my goal doesn't change. I think that it's probably informed in some instances by who I am, how I grew up, and the fact that I'm a Black woman. So, for example, and I go back to the talk question that I asked during the debate, a lot of people have asked me about that. Like, how did you come up with that? Why did you ask that? Honestly, that question just came out of me. I got assigned the debate, and then a couple days later, I sat down and wrote that question. I read it to my husband, then I read it to my debate team with with whom I worked. And, you know, we worked through it. We went through some different versions. At some points, we even tossed it out, by the way. And I, it was really important to me. 
to ask that question. And so I was glad that I did. And I, I give that just as an example of one of the ways in which anyone could have asked that question. It was important for me to ask that question, I thought, because A, it was just within me. It was something that I really felt needed to be asked. And I wanted to address the issue of race and equity really from like a different standpoint, from the standpoint of the fact that so many families across the country see this moment as a moment of crisis. And so that's why I asked that question in that way. And, and I do think that having a diversity of perspectives makes journalism stronger. And it makes sure that you are not missing any angle or any experience because you're bringing a unique set of experiences and backgrounds to any given story or set of issues that you're covering. What would I like to see? And, and I always go back to this point. I think we can do better in terms of supporting young journalists of color, young women journalists, young journalists in general, making sure that in those first few years, they're not falling through the cracks, that they have the mentorship and the support that they need because everyone makes mistakes and everyone has moments of doubting themselves, of falling down. And I think we want to make sure that we have a community for younger journalists, young journalists of color to support them in those early stages. I try to do that whenever someone reaches out to me when they're you know, new or an intern and, and they ask for moments to talk, I always try to make sure that I do that because that was really important for me when I was starting out here at NBC, but also when I got to Washington and I felt, you know, like I had a lot to learn. There was a learning curve when I first got to Washington. So I reached out to Andrea Mitchell. I reached out to the late Gwen Eiffel, who took me to dinner and shared her insights with me and Savannah Guthrie. All of these women who helped pull me along and helped make sure I didn't fall through the cracks at a time when I was experiencing my own learning curve. And I think that that's just so critical that we create that community and that support and that we're always very vigilant about the next generation of journalists. Are you mentoring anyone right now? So I try to mentor the interns at Weekend Today. So for example, Peter and I will have like sessions with them. We're just free flow. Ask us questions. What can we help you, you know, from a practical matter, think about how to send around. Um, they're not tapes anymore. You're reels. So I try to do that. One of the people who I'm so proud of young aspiring journalist in Atlanta, who is very proud of the fact that she is on the autism spectrum and she is so passionate about journalism and she just got accepted into a college. And she sends me, every time she writes something, she sends it to me. That's so wonderful that you do that because I know your time is short, which brings us to understanding what is it that you do? <laughs> like you have a very big fancy job title and, it, and it's very impressive. But like for our listeners and for Danielle and myself, like literally what do you do every day? So first of all, it looks a little different every day. Also, we should say, because this is a podcast, you are currently talking to us from your booth at the White House. I'm at my booth at the White House. This is what we call the tracking mic. So when I want to track or record my voice for nightly news or for the Today Show or MSNBC or whatever, I do it here. And so what do I do? First of all, 
my goal and my responsibility every day, again, I think is to make sure that I am representing the American people, asking questions that I think are critical to be asked and to hold this president and all of the people who work in this White House accountable for their words, for their actions. Obviously, President Biden newly elected, and so holding him to account for the promises that he made on the campaign trail. In terms of what my day looks like and how that actually happens from a practical standpoint, my alarm goes off at about 5 a.m. That's when I send out my first set of texts and emails to my producers, because usually we're gearing up for the Today Show. So we talked about the 24-7 news cycle. It's not unusual for me to go to bed at 10 or 10.30 and for there to be developments overnight. And so sometimes I wake up to news and I need to see if I can confirm that, if, you know, what information do I have? What context can I bring to bear? And so my reporting day starts that early and I'm kind of always frantically getting ready, hair and makeup, and then drive myself into the White House, you know, do the my Today Show live shot. And then, you know, that's when... I start making source calls, yes, but also in order to kind of, as I'm saying, hold this president or any president to account for promises, words, and actions, you want to be expanding the scope of what you're doing. So, okay, there's a new policy proposal that this this president's putting out on immigration. I use that because that's what we were talking about this week. It's not just about talking to the White House and to lawmakers about immigration. It's about talking to you know, the various groups that have interests in this issue. So doing fact-checking from that perspective, what is this immigration proposal going to mean for people who are here who are undocumented? What is this immigration proposal going to mean for small businesses? You know, asking those sorts of questions so that I can bring that to bear and so that I can inform our viewers and so that I can give that context to whatever issue it is that we're focused on. And then there's a daily briefing typically under this administration. And so it is making sure that we're armed, whether I'm in the briefing room or Peter is or anyone else, armed with a set of questions that aim to push that discussion forward. And that if there are holes or gaps or whatever it is, that we are trying to get answers for that. So I think it might be interesting to the folks who are listening to know, you know, I walk into a briefing room often with three or four pages worth of questions on any given day. I mean, what you're describing is like, obviously, the the fascinating weeds of the life of a White House reporter. But, you know, when you walk into your quote unquote office, like you're walking to the White House and when you're delivering these questions, like you're delivering them either to a White House official or to potentially the president themselves. Do you ever get nervous? Okay, let me answer that in stages. When I first got to the White House, and I will just acknowledge this, and it was about a decade ago, I was so nervous. I mean, every step I took, every word that came out of my mouth, because it was all new and because it was all so important and terrifying if you got it wrong. And I was really intimidated. 
But you work through that by just moving forward and just doing the work and getting good at it. So it is okay to be nervous. It means you're challenging yourself. It means you're doing something important. And it means you're doing something that you really care about. So I just want to say that nerves are not a bad thing. Nerves keep you on your toes. I get nervous a lot less now because I've been doing this for a long time. I know when I've got a good question, I know how to back up a question so that if I walk into the briefing room, I'm not asking a question if I don't have the research to back it up. And that's why we put so much work into the briefings. For a press conference, yes, I will get nervous again because I'm human. And I always like to say it's funny. I thought after the debate, I would never get nervous again. I just thought I'll never be nervous again. This is going to be so fantastic. All of my nerves will be gone forever. And that's not the case because it turns out I'm still a human being. I still care a lot about what I'm doing. I'm still very passionate about it and I take it very, very seriously. And so, yes, there are still moments when I get nervous. You mentioned the debate. Obviously, you know, the the presidential debate last fall, it was such a critical debate and in, in such an unprecedented climate with a president, President Trump, who had an unprecedented communication style. And you, we had seen moderators really get buried under that style. Literally walk us through the 30 seconds before you walked on that stage. I vividly remember watching you. I was so nervous for you. <laughs> I, we were texting. I was like, oh my gosh, she's got it. She's got it. When you have the biggest moment of your professional career with someone that has been, you know, whether it's it's a boss or an interview, whatever, with someone being openly hostile towards you. I mean, that is, and, and in this case, it was any moderator. I just, how did you prepare? And I know it's a team effort, but at the end of the day, like you are the one who is walking on that stage and you're the one whose who's Twitter is going to blow up. Well, first of all, thank you, guys. That, that is just so meaningful and that, you know, you felt that in, in those moments. My best friend, by the way, said to me, she said, when I saw you sitting alone on the stage, I burst into tears because I was so terrified for you. So I appreciate that. And the way I prepared for those 30 seconds, which is the exact right way to ask this question, is that I envisioned those 30 seconds every day, all day long, literally, with the exception of like when I was preparing for the debate and focused on that. If I wasn't preparing for the debate, I was preparing for those 30 seconds. Now, I spent hours every day preparing for the debate. So how did I prepare for those 30 seconds? I knew that I was going to be nervous because that, you know, you could not be nervous. If you, if you weren't nervous in those moments leading up to the debate, you just would not be a human being. Anyone who does those debates, by the way, says that they get nervous beforehand. So I thought, okay, well, instead of just thinking about how you're going to be nervous, what are you going to do about it? So I had a complete action plan. And this, you know, we talk about advice. This is my advice for anyone doing anything scary. What's your action plan going to be? How are you going to cope with your nerves? Here's what I did. I had my binder with me filled with questions and pens and and I had water out on the stage. So what I did to prepare and, and I recommend this to anyone who has anything tough that they have to do, particularly when it comes to speaking, I started meditating. And the value of that was that you learn how to breathe through feeling anxious, because that's really what happens when you feel anxious. You just kind of stop breathing. 
properly. And so, and I just kept saying to myself, once you get those first five words out, you're fine. You're fine. You've been in press conferences with both of these men. So from that perspective, and I was very fortunate for that reason. I mean, I covered former President Trump for four years. I covered then Vice President Biden when he was the vice president under former President Obama. So I had done that work. And I just thought it's about getting the first five words out. So I meditated and and devised a plan to sort of just center myself in those 30 seconds. Now, when the 30 seconds was upon me, yes, I was very nervous. (laughs) But I just said, okay, let's just put the action plan into play right now. Just let's, you know, get your breath, take a couple deep breaths. I'm like really nervous. I'm literally, my heart is racing because I feel like I am you in that moment. I'm like, I don't know how you did that. Well, what I did was, again, I just put this action plan into place and I just started taking some deep breaths and repeating, you got this, you got this, you got this, Kristen, you got this. And I walked out onto the stage. Once I greeted everyone and everyone was very warm and sat down, took a lot of sips of water, you know, (laughs) another really couple of deep breaths. And I said this, make sure you have your first question. Like, don't get so nervous that the binder's closed. Mm -hmm. Get out your question. And then we were off to the races. And, And I share that story because I almost didn't have time to be nervous because I was just doing my action plan. It was like, okay, you've envisioned this. Here it is. Just one, two, three. Here we go. And that's how you approach big moments. Think about it. Face it. How are you going to be prepared? It's just about centering yourself, calming yourself, focusing yourself, and having confidence. Just telling yourself you've got it. Kind of having that built-in muscle memory that you've practiced so much that you've got it. Exactly. And it's kind of like, I mean, I thought of myself when I was preparing for that, a little bit like an athlete. You know, if you're running in a race, you run the race as many times as you can before it's game day. And when you've done that, when you've done the preparation and you've done the work, you just have a built-in confidence about it. Mm -hmm. And that was a part of it too. And I do go back to the team in this regard. I did, you know... uh, a million mock sessions, not a million, but many mock sessions. And remember, thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of mock sessions and remember it was COVID. So we did a lot of mock sessions outdoors in the dark. I was actually, I was just going to ask, you know, it's almost coming up on a year of this pandemic and it has been a year for everyone. It has been a year for women. It has been a year for women of color. It has been a year for journalists. It was a year also where you had a president who was openly hostile to the media. And we saw literally that culminate in members of the media's lives put at risk on January 6th. How how do you reflect on this past year and and how are you? That's so nice of you to ask. You know, we have obviously as a country experienced so much this past year and Honestly, I'm grateful and thankful that my family's still healthy. My heart goes out to the people who've been, you know, really impacted by COVID. And so that was really what has, I think, guided me throughout all of this. Like you guys trying to figure out, how am I going to do this job? 
you know, against the backdrop of a pandemic. And when it first started coming into this White House and knowing, first of all, feeling nervous about my own safety, but also coming into the White House and just feeling like the questions that I was asking, the reporting that we were doing was literally a matter of health and safety. And that I've never felt a greater responsibility as a journalist than those early days of the pandemic. And so a year later, um, you know, I think everyone is looking forward to what is coming next. And people are starting to, to be able to, you know, see what everyone is hoping is the light at the end of the tunnel of this as people start to get vaccinated. I, I remember... The thing that stands out to me, and you talk about this year, not just in the context of the pandemic, but also the protests that we saw all across the country for racial equity. And the moment for me that kind of crystallizes why the past year has been so challenging was when I went out to interview some of the protesters who are here, who are gathering in Black Lives Matter Plaza, by the way, and to talk to them and it was so critical and so important. I put my mask on, but like we were still really terrified at that point. We didn't understand anything at that point about COVID or we understood very little because it was still very early. And, you know, just thinking that really it's more important than ever to go out and talk to these people because if these people are all out trying to express themselves and they're, you know, calling for change, what more important job do we have as journalists than to go out and capture that? And that was really the moment, I think, that that I will remember as being one of the moments that crystallized everything that was so challenging about 2020. We're going to move on to our last segment. It's a lightning round of quick hits. I want to know, how do you unwind? Like, what what is your vice? My vice is reality TV. <laughs> Tell us more. First of all, I I love Top Chef, so that's one of them. And, you know, I love the Real Housewives series. What city? I have to go with New York and then also Atlanta. Oh, I love Atlanta. I mean, yeah. how can yeah. you not love Atlanta? Yes. If you could interview one housewife, who would it be? I think it has to be Nini, right? I knew you were going to say that. Yes. What is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you on air? Can I do shocking? Let me think for a second about embarrassing. Yes. Shocking was when I was doing a live shot with Andrea Mitchell and the light stands <laughs> fell in front of me. But you didn't miss a beat. Well, the funny thing, of course, in my head, I had, I literally had breaking news. So in my head at the end of the hit, I was like, did I get all of, did I get everything into that live shot? Did I get all of my points across, you know, and didn't realize how dramatic it had looked on air until people started calling me like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I just worry I didn't get the whole story out. Kristen, who is one person we should have on the show? Meghan Markle. <laughs> that works. I think like every journalist in the world would love to interview her. Kristen, thank you so much. Congratulations on everything. It was my absolute honor. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. 
And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 